directly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com for the day, the most deviant mind is often concealed in an unblemished body. Hello perverts, welcome to episode 54 of the Grimdark Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. If you're joining us for the first time, we're a podcast devoted to role-playing in the 41st millennium. We cover the game systems created by Fantasy Flight Games. Each episode we cover a different game system, and of course tonight is going to be Black Crusade, and we're going to talk about all things Slanesh. Yes. So uh, get your explicit filter ready. There might be some things you hear tonight that are not suitable for young ears. So if you are a young child or have a young child nearby you, please uh, switch off now. But uh, I don't know, we're not going to make it do this because we can, but just... Uh, yeah, we can't talk about Slanesh without mixing it up a bit, I don't think, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Uh, before we talk about, uh, well, briefly, before we get into the show, let's talk about our fortnight in gaming. Okay. Uh, first off, it's only our week in gaming, because we're actually recording early, because I've got to travel the week the podcast is due out. Yeah. Uh, but I've done no gaming. I've done no gaming. I've done lots of lots of uh, computer gaming. This is sort Lots of, of gaming, this, yeah. this is the time of year when all the games come out, you know, so I've been Call of Dutying and Need for Speeding and Tomb Raidering and Fallout 4ing, so... But yeah, no, no. We, we, we almost actually managed to get a game together tonight, but then everybody had other plans. Yes. So, yes. so we podcast, we're podcasting instead. Yeah. Makes life easier. Uh, so, for want of other gaming, let's talk about tonight's show. Uh, as I mentioned, it's Black Crusade. We'll do our regular news section. We're going to talk about the social encounter system from the Tome of Excess. Talk about the noise marine archetype from the same book. Do our plot hooks and war gear section. I'll do a review of binding contracts. And then we're going to talk about the nature of Slanesh. Then we'll do our regular community section and close out the show. So, with nothing more to say on the intro, let's get into our new section, shall we? Yep. Command acknowledged accessing Imperial archives. So, in the last week, we've had a lot of news from Fantasy Flight Games, just none of it to do with 40k. Yeah. Lots of Star Wars and Runebound and other games, but uh, no, no 40k news from. Uh, it's uh, to be it. expected regarding the Star Wars thing with. The new movie coming out shortly. Like five weeks away, so I think it's now. So yeah. I've got my tickets. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I mean, obviously, that's going to be a big focus, and, and a few new games coming out as well. They saw that they announced this um, Rebellion game as well, which is sort of like a board game, two-player board game about the Rebellion era in Star Wars as well. So yeah, well, they've got to get the most possible out of the IP they've paid for. You can understand. Well, I assume they're paying for the 40k IP as well. Probably not quite as much as the. I, I, I get a IP. distinct impression it's nowhere near as much. Yeah, but uh, so nothing new from FFG on the 40k side. A uh, bit new from Games Workshop. So yep. the first big thing is the announcement of Horus Heresy, Horus Heresy Betrayal at Kalth. Yeah. So this is first and foremost a new board game. Yes. Um, and also a series of books that attach to the Horus Heresy line that also cover this off. So it appears to be it was Ultramarines and... Ultramarines and Word Bearers. Okay. Um, the Word Bearers trying to make sure the Ultramarines don't get involved too much in the Horus Heresy. Yeah. That's the general gist of it. Um, it's a board game. Doesn't use 40k rules. It uses its own unique rule set. Um, the models, though, are 40k models. Well, 
Yeah, the 30k same, models. Yeah, okay. Same, same scale, you know. Same scale. Similar to what they did with the Space Hulk game, for example. Yeah, they're, they're virtually identical to the uh, resin cast models from uh, Forge World. Yep. They, they're I mean, this is the first time we've had 30k figures, well, at least 30k marked armour um, in plastic, basically. In plastic, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of people picking it up to, to bolster up their Horus Heresy armies anyway, which is what I'll be doing. And, and like with Space Crusade, pretty much every single figure is individual. Yep. Yeah, it looks very nice. It, it, it's a, like, new dice as well, I noticed. It has little... Yes, yeah, it doesn't run on standard D6s. It's got its own rule system, which is quite unique. Yep. Um, yeah. It looks have you good. read some reviews at all yet? I think it comes out I tomorrow have... as we're recording. So we're recording yeah, yeah, on Thursday. I have read a couple of reviews, and um, it certainly seems very different from standard 40K, and it is very much like a board game. Okay. It's more like something we'd see actually from Fantasy Flight Games rather than Games Workshop. Um, but that isn't always a bad thing. We really should pull out the Assassin board game and play that sometime too. Like, I spent so much on it, and it's still still wrapped in plastic in my, Is it still in my office. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, because we've got to review it at some point too, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. For, for one of other books to, to review. Yep. Uh, I guess the other big bit of news from Games Workshop is that Specialist Games is coming back. Yes. So if you're unfamiliar with Specialist Games, uh, this was a division of Games Workshop that was set up originally to reproduce and support some of the older one-off game lines. So you're talking games here like Blood Bowl, Necromunda, Mortheim, I think was already Mortheim, there. Battlefleet yeah. Gothic. Yeah, and they sort of wound it up a few years ago, I think, and, and now they're looking yeah, at basically... Yeah, the, the old CEO said, oh, this isn't going to make us any money, let's get rid of it. And since then, it's absolutely taken off on eBay and through um, recasters. Okay, yeah. Raking in loads of money, which Games Workshop have tried to stem the tide of, and they realised really that the only way to stop that is to release the models themselves. I mean, just from playing the recent Blood Bowl computer game, like oh. and going through the forums there, it's reminded it's reminded of how much of a group there or how much of an interest there still is in the board game of Blood Bowl. They're still massive, huge cult following. following of yeah. Huge cult following. Necromunda, even more so. I mean, Necromunda gangs were going on eBay regularly for hundreds of dollars. Yeah, and. Games Workshop have obviously decided, well, we can get a, a, a taste of that. Yeah, that's it, yeah. So it looks like they're definitely doing Battlefleet, Gothic, Necromunda, and Blood Bowl as a minimum. Yeah. Although, the bit I read said you were still probably looking about, about being a year away before we start seeing product. They've got to actually get off the ground again to get the studios set up. Yeah. Yeah, start producing as well. So. Well, it'll be really nice if they actually start releasing some new content for these older games as well, instead of just rehashing and re-releasing stuff that's, you know gone past yeah okay so a bit of, bit of good stuff out of games workshop yeah. um, other new releases pretty much is still just the Tau and, uh, and Raven Guard stuff they were doing before uh, on to Eternal Crusade now as we post all warriors should now have received invites to the closed beta yep so that is multiplied number of players that can play substantially uh, they've got recent builds out so they, you know they've, they've now got things like we mentioned before power weapons plasma weapons melter bombs in the game new maps uh, they have said that, uh, although obviously the NDA still applies to the closed beta, that originally the only person who could post was um, Angry Joe. If you're familiar with Angry Joe from Computer Game Reviews, he's already done some streaming. But now they've opened up streaming to some more media outlets as well. So uh, You can see more reviews and more... That's it. I mean, I, I, I mean, okay, so I'm allowed to say I'm in the closed beta because I've already mentioned I bought the you know one of the packs early on, um, but I can't talk about the game. But I think that, you know, with media, I've got two Gen Con press passes... Yeah, maybe I should try and contact uh, the, the studio and see if they'll yeah. let me uh, 
do some streaming, or I'm not going to probably stream, but I'll probably record and upload to YouTube. I don't know. So. Yeah. But I, that being said, what, I suck that as well, so I don't want to embarrass myself by <laughs> sucking that hard on it. Uh, everyone sucks at it at the moment. I don't think it really works perfectly well. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was, it, it's still <laughs> like alpha test. I can tell you there are people in the game that don't suck. I know because I do, and I'm constantly at the end of their various <laughs> various weapons. punishments. That's right. Yeah. That's it. So, okay. Uh, but yeah, I'll see if, see if they'll let me do some uh, some posting about because you know, we do cover a bit about the game here anyway. Yeah. So that's it for news. Okay. Okay. So let's get into the main part of the show. Knowledge is power. Hide it well. For our uh, system discussion today, as I mentioned before, we are talking about the social encounters or social conflicts system from uh, the Tome of Excess. Yep. Uh, so let's start off with what actually is a social conflict. Um. The social equivalent of a fight. Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose that's the easiest way of putting it. Uh, war of words, uh, boasting challenges, anything which is social in context, and you want to have a clear winner through dice rolling. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Um, well, through a mixture anyway, because yeah. yeah, it doesn't. You still have, you still have to so. role play a lot of it out, but it makes it a lot easier to determine who actually won in a very nebulous point of view. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we've, we've also discussed in the past that. Sometimes you might choose to play a character who is socially adept, but you being, I don't know, a gamer, might not have all the social skills that your character does, and you know you can't necessarily role-play out the, your character's eloquence, and having a die system behind that allows you to really you know, use all those traits and abilities you've got without you stumbling through trying to make a point that you yes. <laughs> have a hard time constructing. Yeah. Um, now... When you actually use a social conflict in a game, it does give some guidelines that sort of says, you know, if any of these conditions are true, then maybe a social conflict is right for this. So it mentions, for example, uh, if it's likely to be a sustained, prolonged encounter. You know, it's not just, do this for me, okay, no, I will, yes, I will, no, I won't. You know, it's got to be a sort of back and forth debate, argument, whatever it might be, that's going to be prolonged. Uh, it might be when there are lots of spectators present, either other characters or lots of other people, and, and all those people seeing the outcome of the conflict is a is an important thing. Uh, the big one is the outcome is some way important to the player characters. I.e., if they if they go poorly, there are dire consequences, or if they go well, there are major things to be gained as such. And I guess that comes down to any any dice roller mechanic. You know, you don't roll the don't roll the dice when there's no no risk of what happens when you fail as such. Yeah, when there's no reason to roll. That's it. Uh, or if the encounter is pivotal to the plot. You know, at the end of the day, you may choose to write a storyline which ends in a social encounter rather than a fight. You know, it's, uh, I've seen plenty of films that end that way as such. You know, the person is talked down or whatever it might be, and that's the pivotal moment in the storyline as such. So yeah. if any of those are true, then maybe it's a good chance for a, uh, for a social conflict. I guess my thought would be, looking into it now, like having read through the rules, that my only concern would be, based upon the mechanic, they, it could be quite a protracted series of stuff. It oh, could cook for quite it, some time. It could take quite a while to get through an entire conflict. That's it. And unlike, but yeah, again, so yeah. does combat. Yeah, it's true. But I mean, in combat, you can pretty much guarantee that everybody everybody will get an action. Everybody will get to do something. And depending on how you lay out a social conflict, it could be one person speaking on behalf of the group. You know, I mean, there are various mechanics we'll talk about for bringing in multiple people, but yeah, it yeah. could put someone in the limelight and everyone else sort of stands back. I don't know. But. The characters stand back, but they as players shouldn't be standing back. They should be discussing amongst themselves and, and working out what they're going to say and everything. I, I'd say that that would be a good good idea, especially since the fact that the person doing the talking is probably, character-wise, a lot more socially adept than any player would be because 
they're going to be some sort of chaos follower with vastly huge skills in this sort of thing. You would hope. Yeah. I think one of the advantages I can see of this system is the fact that, let's say we've got a situation where you've got a major social conflict between a PC and an NPC where they need to basically, let's use the example we had before, talk this guy down, you know, stop him from killing somebody, whatever it might be. You know, we could have the player do a fantastic role-playing thing and then we could have that generated a bonus and you roll one, a one-off charm test, a one-off command test, whatever, and take the results that negative or positive and, and that's done, you know, and that's a single, simple skill test. Or by doing the social conflict system where you go back and forth, you've got this tension of, you know, de- you know depleting resources, you're losing willpower as such, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a progressive thing. It's not just bang, it happens or it doesn't happen. You know, it, it, you, you know, well, we've just lost three rolls in a row, but there's still, it's still possible we can still win this as such, you know, you could still turn this around or, um, you know, we're going really well, but then suddenly we have a setback as such, you know, all these things could all play out in it, so... All right, so in a social conflict, there are a number of character traits which are quite important. First off, willpower, I guess, really represents your health in the system. You know, like once you run out of willpower, you are convinced, you are converted, you are, you know, whatever, whatever they want you You're to do. You're defeated. So. Yeah, that's defeated, exactly right. Uh, your fellowship represents, I guess, the skill you have in this particular field. Like, you are trying to convince somebody, you can call it your hit chance or your damage, whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, uh, fellowship is, is your main stat, unless the GM is happy that you can substitute another interaction-based skill. So, for example, you know, I was talking about my Black Crusade character. I have a really shocking charm, and my fellowship is not much better. But I've got a fantastic Intimidate. So I could use Intimidate in these social conflicts, provided the role-playing that I did was built around Intimidation. If I'm trying, if I'm, my character's trying to seduce or, you know, butter someone up, you know, with my, I think, 20-something fellowship and five charm. I think you should give me voice. a discount or else. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you, you can supplement other skills. It does say that, provided, you know, that, that, that it does fit with the way that you've role-played out the interaction part of, of the social conflict, basically. Uh, okay, uh, infamy plays a big role because infamy is basically an expendable resource that you use... It's used to break ties. It's used to adjust the social damage that you do as such. So infamy is quite important. Uh, and I'll mention the second also has the ability... It can actually... Infamy can end a social conflict before it even begins as well. Yeah. Uh, and then there's also perception. Uh, the perception allows you to pick on visual cues, which are one of the basic rules in the game. Now, something I want, to, I want to take a quick sidebar here and talk about my experience with these sorts of systems in all gaming systems. Okay. Yeah. Um, we mentioned it in the past. Players don't like losing control of their player character. You know, they don't like it when the system basically says, I know that you want to do this, but the system is making you do this. You know, the simplest form we've spoken about in the, in the system is fear checks. Yeah. And it's pretty much you can't do what you want to do because your character is petrified. But telling somebody your character is being convinced to trust this person, even though you don't, or you've been convinced to go and do this, you know, that can be quite difficult for a player character, I think, as well. Yeah. Um, which is why there's some extra stuff I would do with running a social conflict to give more control back to the PCs. So for one, um, the PC is always going to see what their current willpower is. As it drains down to the social conflict, they're going to be noticing that they're losing as such. At the end of the day, someone who's losing an argument will sometimes just step away, walk away. You know, I, 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 If I keep standing here, I'm just going to get embarrassed even further. 
So I'm just going to turn around and walk away and I'll still, I'll look like an idiot, but I haven't been pushed into a position that I don't, I don't want to be as such. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you can or you've al- always got the option of resorting to violence. Well, that's it. That is an important thing. You can always resort to violence. You do, you do effectively still lose the social encounter. When you, well, yeah, but yeah. the followers of chaos, I mean, it's, obviously there should be re- severe ramifications if they do so, but, yeah. you know, if, you're trying to convince a group of people that this is the best course and you're losing poorly. Eventually, you know, pulling out a gun and just shooting the leader might turn out to be the best solution. That's true. You're right. <laughs> but I, I guess just create, give options for your PCs to withdraw from a conflict, you know, before they get to the point where it's like, okay, you are now forced to do this. I, effectively, yeah. I'm now playing your character and your character is doing this. Yeah. That's what you really want to avoid in these sorts of systems, and- I think. I, I think this is an old hold back to the days of D&D where you'd have lots of players going, oh, well, I don't get scared of that. Yeah. My, my character has no fear. And it's... Everyone's scared of something. That's it. Um, everyone's able to be manipulated in some way unless they are well beyond the realms of pos- of mortal concerns, in which case they're a demon prince or something along those lines. Um so you have to have some sort of way of getting players to do something that they don't want their characters to do, um, but it has to be done. And I mean, it's unfortunate, but you've got to find a way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, I think an important thing as well with social conflicts is you've got to make sure that both sides have a clear agenda. Yeah. So let's use the example of an interrogation. Okay, so the interrogator's objective is to get information out of the person. Okay. What is the person's objective? To not give up the information. Okay. Or, 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 or convince the interrogator that, that there's nothing more they can get out of them as such. Because to not give up the information just means the interrogator is going to continue. Yeah. So their agenda is actually to have the interrogator give up on trying to get the information yeah, as such. Leave them alone. Yeah. And that's the thing is you need to make sure that the what the other person wants is not just the antithesis of what the initiator wants you know so it's like i'm trying to seduce this person that person doesn't want to be seduced yeah that's you want to have you know more of an agenda and a a very good example i saw of this came from the uh song of ice and fire role-playing game which has a very robust social encounter mechanic as well and they gave the example in the book of okay so you've got this female noble who's trying to get a knight to do something for her so her objective and she she knows that that knight is is enamored with her as such so her objective is to convince the knight to do what she wants on the promise of future favor as such. Whereas the knight's objective is to get some. You know, so uh, if, if she loses, if she wins the, the, the social encounter, then the knight will go off and do what she wants on the hope that something will happen in the future. If the knight wins the social encounter, she may still get what she wants, but she's going to have to put out for it yeah. in order to get it as such. Yeah, so. and, I, and I mean... Really, for Slanesh followers, that's what it comes down to. Especially Putting with out. No, um, <laughs> trying to get what you want without having to give away. Give, that's right, exactly right, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's, but it goes both ways. I mean, the, the follower of Slanesh may well be very happy just having sex with the person, yes. which makes the entire point of the seduction useless if the person's going to do it if they get some. But there's always the chance that the person's going to get some and then not do it anyway. Yeah. Look, look, look at it. Look at it. Buying goods. Okay. The buyer wants to buy an item. The seller wants to sell an item. Yeah. There's no need for a social conflict. They have they have you know matched goals as such. But the 
buyer wants to pay as little as possible, the seller wants to charge as much as possible. Yeah. That's why you have bargaining social encounters as such, you know. So it really yeah. comes down to don't look at the the core target, look at the what makes that up as such and what, what their actual agenda is, what they what they want to walk away from this situation with. Okay, so let's talk about the actual conflict itself. I mentioned before there is something that can have a major effect before you even start rolling the dice for the conflict, and that is the overawe rule. Yeah, infamy. That's right. This is basically something that says, you know, if you're a lowly, you know, servant of chaos and suddenly the abandoned despoiler walks in, you know, you know, surrounded by these guards, you're not going to call him out and say, no, you're an idiot. You know, you couldn't... How many how many Black Crusades and you couldn't even destroy the Imperium, you know? Uh, that would go down pretty poorly as such. Uh, Survival so, instinct kicks in <laughs> when exactly someone's right. got that much higher infamy. Yes. Exactly. So if the GM feels that there is a significant difference between the infamy scores, there's no hard and fast rules, but there'll be something where you've got to say... There is a significant difference. Then the GM can tell the lesser party to make a willpower test with a minus 10 penalty equal to 10 times the infamy bonus difference, not the infamy score difference. So if they're one person's 80, one person's 60, that, okay, their infamy bonus difference is two. So it's eight minus six. Uh, so times 10 is different to 20. Yeah. Uh, so if someone's bonus is 88 so, so sorry if someone's in for me 88 and someone's in for me 69 still still two still two that's yeah. right yeah so uh and if they fail that test then at the start of the social conflict they lose half their infamy pool straight away and they take a d5 willpower damage as well yeah and at that case they may well just throw in the towel instantly and just say well i'm not even going to be able to win this yeah i'm not even going to try that's it uh, keep in mind, all these things talk about losing willpower, losing infamy. These are all temporary in the scope of the encounter, basically. Yep. Uh, if they succeed, then you go to normal. You know, they, they proceed as normal into the regular social conflict system. But they should probably know that there's a massive difference and disparity here, and they should probably consider backing down anyway. Well, I mean, it's... Okay, let's put it this way. Once again, my character in our Black Crusade game has a very high infamy, but not a lot of social skills. So, you know... Relying on infamy will take you so far in the game, but you also need to have the skills to actually win a social encounter too. Yeah, but infamy, I see the overall rule as something more than that. Yes, the person might be able to win the argument. That isn't going to stop you from cutting them into tiny, tiny little chunks. <laughs> That's true. That's what the fear of the infamy is. It's essentially the fact that you're going, well, I could possibly beat this person, but what are going to be the repercussions for that? Yeah. All right, let's talk about the system now. So at the start, you basically write down those values talked about before. Willpower, um, infamy, they're the two things that are going to be tracked. Don't do this on your sheet. It's going to make a mess of your sheet because you're going to be adding and He's going to be going up and down a lot throughout the... Okay, so at the start of the round of a social encounter, both sides secretly bid an amount of infamy out of their current infamy pool. So if their current infamy pool is, say, 60, they've got 60 points to play with. They can bid one point, they can bid no points, they can bid 60 points. Um, and that is sort of done in secret as such. Write on a bit of paper, fold it over what it might be, give it to the GM, doesn't matter. Uh, then, both sides are expected to give a role-playing of what the point of their argument is. You know, it, The recommendation is the amount of stuff you would put in one paragraph of text. So, f- sort of five to ten seconds of role-playing, this is my point as such. You know, that could, in, role, in the actual scope of the game, have it feature an entire argument as such, but... Yeah, you're just framing it in a... In a if you want to get, do more, you can do more as well. Yeah. yeah. And what happens is that in the first round of the social conflict, the person with the highest fellowship score decides who goes first. So generally speaking, think of it like a debate. If someone goes first, then the other person's 
their point will probably be a rebuttal of the first person's point rather than just complete opposite tangent as such. Um, in subsequent rounds of combat there or conflict, the person that goes first is the person or person who gets to decide, sorry, is the person who won the previous round. So the balance of power can shift back and forth. Um, now, this is the one part that gets a bit sketchy. Once both sides have given their argument for the round, the GM then decides who won the argument. Keeping in mind that in a lot of cases, the GM may be playing one of those sides. Uh, it gives various methods in the book you could do it where the PCs can blind, can, can blind vote or all that sort of stuff. You know, I mean, once again, the PCs, it's in their interest, or the players, it's in their interest for the PC to win as such. So it's a tough one. Um, and it basically says that whoever is decided as a winner here gets, gets a plus 20 on the upcoming fellowship role, basically, or skill role. Yeah. Um, as a GM, I would probably more likely uh, make that, more, rather than just a straight plus 20, make it an adjustable thing based upon, I think this side had the strong round, but only marginally. It's a plus five, it's a plus 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a crushing I, argument. Plus I agree 20. with that completely. That's yeah. one of the things I originally thought as well about this. Yeah. Uh, so then you actually go on to the skill role itself, which by default is a fellowship role, contested, so a post role, or you get something with another skill. Yeah, charm, intimidate, and you're obviously, whatever. With any, like with any skill role, trying to get more degrees of success. If both sides fail, then you mark off the infamy that they bid, that, that's, that's removed from the infamy pool for the purpose of the social conflict, and you go back to the start. If somebody has won, well, say, if there's if there's a tie first off, the tie is broken by who bid the more who bid more infamy. So that's one of the advantages of, of throwing infamy in early is, is that you you break those ties, um, and then the person that won, they basically deal d five damage plus the amount of infamy that they bid against the willpower of the other person. The other person takes the damage and they lose the infamy they bid. Yeah. As such. So, so about him with his hundred and eighty infamy bids eighty infamy straight up. Yeah. Unless you've got 85 willpower or more you've pretty much lost in the first round if you lose that role yeah and, and, well keep in mind that that infamy doesn't apply as a bonus to your fellowship role so if he rolls 98 and screws your fellowship role oh, he's yeah. just blown 80 infamy in the first yeah. round so. yeah, absolutely yeah but he's still got 100 left to play with, which is probably more players still yeah. you know but that's the thing it's, it's a gamble as well oh, yeah, like, like, like any sort of social conflict is um, alright once you've actually worked out the damage you then work out if there's a physical manifestation and this is, if somebody has lost 10 or more points of infamy in the single round, they give off a tell. You know, they get they, they get a tick, they start to sweat. Give, you know, they, they, lose they, 10 or more infamy or 10 or more so, willpower? So, 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 10 or more willpower. Yeah. willpower okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, the other side can then make a perception test to notice that. If they succeed, then the next round, if they win the, the social conflict part of it, they get a plus 30 instead of a plus 20. I, I have to say, I find it odd that it says perception test here yeah. and not scrutiny yeah it's true actually because re- that's really what scrutiny that, that's yeah. what scrutiny is yeah yeah yeah. it does says perception but yeah you certainly use scrutiny definitely uh, and that's it you, you just keep repeating through that cycle until somebody runs out of willpower you know uh, or the conflict ends otherwise we'll come back to as well so uh, when you run out of willpower your character has been convinced the argument is, is you, the argument is lost it, it's not so much convinced necessarily you may not believe the person but you've lost the will to continue arguing that's right yeah either they've flustered you so much that you can't form coherent sentences to argue them or they've run you around in circles in the argument that you just have nothing left to say or they've smashed your point so 
significantly that anything you do say is going to fall well, on. Let's go face. back to a seduction one though. Seduction, seduction oh, attempt. So, yeah. okay, so you've lost. Like, I'm not really attacking this person, but I'm just going to sleep with them to shut them up. You know, I, I don't know. That's quite really the. <laughs> well, it depends. I mean, obviously, it's contextual. Yeah. I mean, depends what you were trying to do. Um, they may very much regret it afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and this is probably the important point: is that once the social conflict is over, the person that one gets all that willpower from you straight back. You know, in case they want to start one, another one straight away. Okay, I've convinced this person. Now I can convince this person. Um, but the person that lost regains half their willpower and half their infamy, and effectively their actual trait counts as being halved and it regenerates at basically five points per hour so if they were to go from that social conflict I mean they're, they're so drained from it that their willpower is effectively halved yeah they've you know, just so. they've just been defeated in debate or argument or something in some significant way because you only really use this system if something's on the line yeah you know it, it's, it's not someone arguing about what's better pizza with pineapple or pizza without and obviously it's pizza without <laughs> It's something serious. You know, you're trying to convince a whole group of... A congregation of an archbishop of the Imperium to turn on the archbishop and kill him. Hmm. And the archbishop obviously is trying to instill in them the virtues of the Empire and, you know, stay true to the Imperial Creed, kill the follower of chaos. If you lose that, um, yeah, your resolve is going to be pretty badly shaken, and there's going to obviously be other repercussions as well. In, Definitely. In that case, you're going to have to fight off a mob of crazed fanatical followers. Okay. Uh, now, there are several talents and traits that affect the social encounter system. In fact, there are a whole bunch of new talents yep. in the social encounter system as well. Yep. I don't know how I feel about that. You know, I would want to know that the GM was going to make ample use of social encounters yeah, before I, I start buying traits specifically for it. Yeah, definitely. I think it's That's something nice. where the GM has to say, we are going to be using this early on, or they're going to say, no, no, we won't be using this system. Yeah. I'm not going to go through every trait now, but or talent now, but there's various yeah. things that, yeah. that benefits they give. So it gives another added bonus to a lot of things like air of authority or you know, the ones you've already got in the past. Yeah. All right. Now, where there is a chance that one side may engage in violence, either because they're a, 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 a naturally violent person or because the... A of call? Well, no, I'll come back to that. Or because the person, the other side, is deliberately trying to bait them. Yeah. The GM may ask the person to make a willpower roll each turn at the start of each social encounter round, obviously at their now reduced willpower if they've been taking damage. And if they fail... That's it. Sword comes out, you know, fist up, fly, whatever it might be. That they, they, They've decided that I can't resolve this with words. I'm going to resolve it with violence as such. And, of course, followers of corn take minus 10 on any willpower test. So, you know, even before they're defeated, if they're down to 10 willpower, they can't pass that. So, yeah. you know, if, you, if you're baiting a follower of, 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 a follower of corn, they're going to... Uh, yeah, there's a good chance you're going to get them to go, yeah. That's right, yeah. So, Which is a social faux pas, for sure, you know. Oh, like, yeah, spectators will say, wow, he lost the argument so badly, he whipped out his chain axe and cut the guy's head off. <laughs> I wonder who the winner was there, you know. It's, <laughs> well, it depends. I mean, there's lots of situations where pulling out a weapon and engaging in physical violence is going to be really, really bad. Yeah. I mean, especially in the... I mean. If you're within the Screaming Vortex, there's going to be plenty of locations where there's some sort of ritual or walled or under the supervision of some patron who makes sure that, or attempts to make sure that violence does not occur there. Yeah. So, I mean, you do things like, imagine this circumstance. You've got um, a, a PC and an NPC are engaged in like an honor duel. So they're, they're fighting. 
at the same time they're fighting, you're running a separate social encounter because... Um, the another, followers of each side. Well, no, another PC is trying to convince an NPC that, that they should, you know, jump in or they should get involved because there's some, some wrongdoing by the PC or something that's going to basically corrupt the honor jewel and, and embarrass the other side as such. So they're trying to incite violence, not against themselves but against the combat that's going on. So you could literally run a round of social combat as you run actually run a physical uh, combat. And the, the better way to look at this, yep. there's a soccer game going on, <laughs> and one crowd is trying to bait the other teams, you know, the other team's supporters... Yeah, into invading the pitch. Into invading the pitch. Every game of soccer is a social challenge between the crowds. <laughs> Nothing to do with the, with the game on the no. game taking place on the No green, one though. cares about that's that. a distraction. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe a Blood Bowl game. Okay, now, we spoke with you before. There are some rules with handling groups. So there's two basic concepts. There is, what if I've got a group of people trying to convince a group of people? Yeah. Okay, in which case, with each group, you just pull together their willpower and me into that, into that core pool. Each round, they nominate a speaker. That person sort of speaks for that group that round. Uh, and the main difference is that because you've got such a larger pool of uh, points to use that the damage when you lose is 1d10 plus 10 plus the infamy bid that round as well. So Perfect the- perfect for when you're taking on Slanesh U debating team. Yes. <laughs> uh, the advantage of group-based stuff is that when you have to heal the damage, if you lost, you heal it at five points per half hour, not per hour. Because yep. you know, a burden shared is a burden halved as such, so yep. you don't feel quite so bad that you lost as a team. Oh, it also keeps all the players involved. That's right, yeah. And you can use similar rules to go... A group versus one as well. So effectively, um, the group pulls the one is individual as such. But uh, the options there. I think it does specify that when you do a group on one, that the group has to keep the same speaker round to round because it just it's intimidating to have keep swapping out people when you're debating against one person. Yeah. Uh, now you can also turn a crowd into an individual when it comes to the social encounter system. So there is basically a, a system which says. Based upon the numbers in the crowd, this is their initial willpower. And rather than rolling for the crowd, it's simply a simple test against the crowd's willpower with bonuses or penalties. It's, it's a simple fellowship test, I should say, with a bonus or penalty equal to the crowd's disposition. And if you win, then you do your um, uh, regular D5 damage against the crowd's starting willpower. Uh, so it's, you do a D5 as normal, but if you overall the crowd at the start, you use the D10 plus 10. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously, Abaddon is a spoiler. Very good at overawing crowds of mooks, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, However, if at any point the speaker against the crowd rolls a natural 100, the crowd turns aggressive and becomes a horde with a magnitude equal to its current willpower. So... So if you're up against like 10,000 followers of you know, the Imperium and it could be like a 90 current willpower, you can up with it against a 90 magnitude horde, which could be bad. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that could be pretty bad. Yeah, so, so make, for, but try, you try, could also convince them to turn upon the Imperium. That's right, yeah. But divide and conquer. Break them up into smaller, manage, more manageable groups, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Have everyone take a group, take a side of 1,000 people and convince them, you know. <laughs> everyone split up. <laughs> okay. Everybody whose name starts with A to K... To this side, everyone elders head over this side, you know. <laughs> then you can pit the hordes against each other. That's right, yeah, exactly. And you, the worst thing you've got then is two 80-point magnitude hordes because oh. th- it's like it, cause it goes up exponentially. Like at 1,000 points, it's 80. At 10,000 points, it's 90. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so that's the social encounter system. 
Um, i got to say, we've never actually used it in any of our games. It's never actually no. come up. But I think that the system itself is... It, it's, it's pretty good. It, it doesn't require any major change to the rules. It's no, such not just really. I, I think it's, it's a pretty good system. I think that if there's a character in your group who is very socially orientated, you should use it. Definitely. Yeah. 100%. Find a way to use it. Yeah. Um, because it really does add an extra dimension for them. Especially for those characters who are no good at combat, but are very good at social. It gives them... Like you said, the final battle in the game could really be a social interaction like this. Yeah. And it gives them a way to feel like they are actually starring in the in the game as well sometimes. Yeah. I guess the one remaining caveat, and we've mentioned this in previous shows before, is to make sure that if you've got a social encounter going on, you've got a play that's suited for it, try to avoid letting the combat characters turn it from a social encounter into a combat. You know, let, let, the, let the social character have their moment to shine. Yeah. I mean, make make if you're going to set it up as the final encounter, make sure it's very clear that turning it into a combat encounter would be very bad. Yeah. I mean, there should be a reason why they are trying to do it socially rather than through violence. Reminds me of our last Black Crusade game. Yeah. I think the intent there was to try and do it as a social encounter, and just, in the end, it just devolved into violence. Devolved into violence through terrible game <laughs> rolling and plans. That's it. Uh, yeah, so, so I think it's a good system. I think it would work quite well. I think yeah. a couple of little tools with it make sure that you m- make sure you have the agenda on both sides. Yeah, be careful with the GM decision about who won as such. Like maybe try and make it more of a sliding scale and try yeah. to agree with with everyone on it as well. Well, I mean, you can do it with the players, and the players can say yeah, 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 but make sure that they understand that it has to be fair. They, yeah. they have to be honest. You know, it. if it's obvious that their player got absolutely smashed, and they all go, oh yeah, he won. Just, it's Actually, not going to work. Sorry to go back to that point as well, but just another idea I had for how you can manage that would be to say that, okay, so the player speaks first, the GM gives the player a bonus based on their speech, and the GM speaks, and the players give the GM a bonus based on their speech. Both sides get a bonus as such, but one might be higher than the other. Yeah. That's probably, that's probably relatively fair as well. Yeah, I think that's a fair way. Yeah. So, so long as both sides are fair. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Some role-playing groups might not be so much. I don't know. It depends yeah. on how many games you've got out there. <laughs> All right, then. I think we've covered social encounters. Let's move on. Okay. All subsequents report to the administrator for career assignment. All right. This is what I've been looking forward to for a while. We're going to talk about the noise marine archetype, once again from the term of excess. So first off, let's talk about the role that the noise marine plays in the screening vortex. They are an Empress Children marine. Yeah, the noise marines are conceptually from the Empress Children. Not all of them. Yeah, the the book here seems to imply this. It implies that the vast majority are, which... They are. Yeah. Fit, fit, fits mostly with the sort of backstory of the noise marines themselves. Yeah. Uh, but in any case, they are generally marines that have given themselves completely over to the sensation of Slanesh and such. You know, they, they've revel in, in trying out all things. They have, in most cases, sort of lost the ability to feel minor things as such. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it takes excess now to really to, to give them any sort of pleasure. Uh, and they've been blessed by Sinesh with a truly supernatural sense of hearing. Yeah. yeah um, which means that they love cacophony of sounds as such, especially the... You know, the, the more the, discordant, the better. Yeah. Battle, fantastic. You know. Yeah. Uh, and I guess the other thing they do quite well is they are good employers of fear. They understand the importance of fear as a, as a sensation as well and, that, and they use fear uh, yeah. re- uh, readily as well. So not quite to the same degree that, say, the um, Night Lords might. 
yeah. but still it is a big part of their... Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, their main role is heavy artillery. Yeah. I mean, Doom Blaster, Sonic Cannons, they're powerful weapons. Yeah, that's it. We're going to be talking about those in the Wargear section as well, at least yeah. about sound-based weapons anyway. Yeah. So. Um, all right, so the Noise Marine special traits. First thing they've got is intoxicating uproar, which means that they get a plus 20 on all hearing-based tests. Yep. That's before anything like, for example, heightened sensors. Which all space marines get. Yep. So they've actually got plus 30 on all the yes. hearing tests. Uh, they gain plus two toughness, fear, and pinning tests for every active participant on either side of a combat or every point of horde. Now, it says in the book to a maximum of 12. I'm not sure if that is all those things up to maximum 12 or it just applies to the horde benefit as a maximum of 12. Um, I, I read it as a maximum of 12 for across all of those things. Yeah, yeah I read it, read it as a maximum of 12 across all those things, meaning you get a maximum of plus 24 to your fear checks. Yep. Um, toughness, toughness checks. Yes, and um, pinning tests. Yeah, so, so the bigger the battle, the less likely they are to, to freak out. That's it. Uh, the second ability is called Dread Whale, uh, which means once per encounter... You can spend an infamy point to increase the damage and penetration of sonic weapons by your perception bonus. Yep. I'm guessing just for one round. It doesn't specify, but I'd be guessing that's just for one round. Um, or force everyone within 50 meters to make a minus 20 willpower test or suffer your choice of fear 2, 1d5 fatigue, or be stunned for two rounds. Yep. Now... Would you say that every opponent in that area has to suffer the same effect or that you could pick effects per person? Um, oh, that's tough. Yeah. I'd say probably you could pick and choose. Yeah, because my, my first thought was, well, there's either the stunning sound or there is the fear sound as such, but it also specifies that these guys are masters of battlefield acoustics. That they, 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 they understand the way that sound reverberates off different objects as such, and they could quite easily create different vibration sounds based For, on Affecting different people, and, yeah. you know, the Marines get stunned yeah. and the Guardsmen get feared. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, one thing, though, you mentioned, you failed to mention in intoxicating uproar. Yep. Um, in order to disengage from combat, they actually have to do a willpower check. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I, there, did, there I did put that in my notes, but I forgot to actually mention that. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. there's a negative side effect to it. That yeah, it's a plus zero willpower test as yeah, such, but yeah. It's a base willpower check, but they, you know, to disengage from combat, they have to test or they stay stuck in there. That's it. Doesn't say how long, doesn't say whether you're testing that every round or if you test it just once and when you pass, you're fine. But, you know, that's up to the GM. Yeah, I, I, I sort of read it as when you attempt to leave combat, you make the test as such. So you could attempt to leave combat each round. Yeah. Provided that's your action as such. Yeah. All right, when it comes to building a noise marine, for the characteristics, I put down perception as the first one. Really, their, their, their ability to sense what's around them is, is key to their archetype as such, I think. Yeah, I'd go perception and ballistic skill equal. Yeah, ballistic skill definitely means that they sonic weapons are entirely ranged weapons. Yeah. Although they love being in the middle of combat, they still tend to use ranged weapons, ranged weapons as such. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought willpower because they they want to remain in combat. They don't want to be feared or pinned or that sort of stuff. They want to be in control and also when they have to be able to leave combat too with that test. Yeah. Toughness. Last I thought, yeah, toughness definitely. Yeah. yeah, because once again, you're in the middle of combat. You're probably drawing a lot of attention to yourself, especially when you're fearing everyone within 50 meters of you. Yeah, or blasting them apart with bloody doom sirens. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so skill-wise, uh, awareness, definitely, if once again fits in with that perception side. Yeah. I think dodge is probably the best defensive skill because well, they're probably not parrying. Uh, yeah, and, they start with awareness and dodge both at plus 10. That's true. So, yeah. you know, it's already starting pretty high. 
dodge is a slanesh based skill, so that's definitely the one they should focus on rather than parry, which is corn based and a, a huge penalty. Yep. So yeah. Uh, I think interrogation and intimidate sort of fit in with that sort of that, that style. Yep. Um, I actually put down just as an off the wall thing linguistics. You know, when the, when they are all hearing bass, I could actually perceive a more cerebral noise marine. You know, actually coming to have, form an understanding of different languages as well, the different sounds and different you know words that can be produced by different species as well. Yeah, yeah, I mean. yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Especially since they start with mimic as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, they can probably pull off accents and things like that very well. Yeah. Uh, and scrutiny, you know, once again, a perception-based skill. You know, I think we ought to especially read the fear on people as such, like perceive what other people are, are putting out as such. I think is a good one too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Talent-wise, because of their sort of methodology, where they become almost insensate to everything else because of their need for excess, I thought cold-hearted fit well. So they, you know, hard to be seduced or can't be seduced, hard to be charmed because they probably already experienced all of that and yeah, yeah. Any, any, any this person's going to put out can't compare to well, the joy I felt in Sinesh's embrace this is the thing to remember about cold hearted it means you can't be seduced it doesn't mean someone can't attempt to seduce you and you can't sleep with them anyway Yeah, it's just you're not going to do whatever they wanted you to do you're going to be the person who, <laughs> who bangs her or him or it or them <laughs> and then just says thanks for that and goes on your that's way that's right yeah. do bolt that's <laughs> right not do I'm doom what's that say um the things are called they get doom uh, yeah, doom sorry yeah doom sorry that's it <laughs> have an orgy then blast master everyone that's it uh, okay so combat master gives them no I mean they're going to be in the thick of combat and, oh, and not being able to be ganged up on I think is an important part they revel in being surrounded basically so yeah um, combat sense now they probably will have still a good agility bonus but using your perception bonus in place of agility bonus for intuition uh, for, for initiative sorry would um, I think work quite well yep um, disturbing voice. Oh, that's yeah, the crazy thing or something. Yeah. Um, we usually plus ten, intimidate minus ten to positive base fellowship checks. And that also gives you the ability to access baleful dirge, which you maintain as a half action. Everyone within thirty meters must test willpower or suffer minus ten on the next roll. Yeah, progressively they go each round, but once they pass, they stop testing. And it also unlocks uh, war cry, which you use, and then all creatures within fifty meters counters the character being fear one yep. as well. I mean, both of those are. Nurgle based so it's going to be expensive but I think they really do fit yeah that's right I really do think they fit yep uh, exotic weapon training because all the sonic weapons are exotic weapons basically so yes they do get they do get um, the sonic blaster for well, free I believe this is the thing I get exotic weapon training sonic blaster I personally as a GM would yep. say that all sonic weapons all sonic weapons at least the main four in here basically you, y- know, you so should you- just say sonic weapon training I mean a blast master doom siren sonic blaster they're probably going to be pretty close together. Go for it. Just link, lump them together. Don't don't penalise the character for changing. They can't use all three at once. Yeah. And they're very different weapons. So okay. just just go for it. Yeah. I mean, if you were... Let's just take this example somewhere else. Say, for example, you wanted to have... Would you do a separate separate weapon proficiency for, say, Shuriken Pistol versus Shuriken Catapult? Exotic weapon proficiency has always been one of the biggest things to piss me off about this entire system. All of them. Okay. Um... I think there's too many of them. Right. It's like law, you and laws. I, th- I think there's just too many. Okay. You know, a shuriken catapult versus a shuriken pistol versus, you know, a corsair shuriken pistol versus <laughs> this particular model. They're all point and click interfaces. If you know how to use the weapon, you know how to use the weapon. It's not like 
the weapon proficiency gives you any other advantages other than just simply being able to pick it up, point it, and pull the trigger. Yeah, down. especially because in this system, it's like weapons are a tier two talent, so yeah. it's expensive it's, to do for one single weapon at a time. It as well, is. So. It's very expensive, especially for weapons that they are basically built around as well. Yeah, so, yeah. definitely, definitely. Um, I'd say lump them together as one. Well. Yep. Yeah. Um, Heightened senses. Now, marine just get heightened senses, sight and hearing, don't they? Yeah. You know, so you might want to choose other senses as well, but yeah, you know, certainly. Well, just keep in mind when you get your mark of Slanesh, you're going to get them all for free. That's anyway. true. Yeah. So. Uh, paranoia. Once again, oh. you know they 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 are incredibly perceptive of what's going around them. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one I put as a bit of one radiant presence because one of the things is that not something that they're, they're sonic weapons. They they usually have various things on armor that also produce other sounds as well. So. Yeah. The, the radiant presence basically means everyone everyone within twenty meters gains a plus ten resistance to fear and intimidation, and potentially they could they could channel it by putting out other forms of discordant music yeah. that have that effect on the on the mind. As and such. they definitely they're heavily into physical modifications of their own body as well. Yeah. Um, some which we wouldn't consider particularly attractive. Yes. But they do. Um, you know. It's the children through and through, isn't it, really? It's, it is. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they're going to look weird, probably. Almost certainly, even without mutations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last one I thought was rapid reaction. So, Definitely. test agility yeah. to overcome surprise. You know, that they they are, you know, keenly aware of what's going around. Of everything, yes. Right, yeah, so. Um, that's what I come up with for the talents. You know, other okay. things depend on what your build is, what you're going for. Uh, just some thoughts on how to play a noise marine. Um Remember that noise marines are very inwardly focused. They're all about what they can experience, what they can perceive. You, know, you could almost call them self-centered. I mean, a lot of Cal Space Marines are like... You know, yeah, but it, noise marines even more so. Yeah, yes, it, yeah, yeah absolutely. Know, hubris is a major thing for these guys as such because they've, they've, had a, they've had thousands of years to experience all that Slanesh can offer. And you know, everything else by now pales in comparison as such. Oh, yeah, know, absolutely. So. I mean, it's that old thing of, oh, Slanesh, it's all about sex. Well... They've been there, done that, probably more than we could ever imagine. It's kind of, eh. It's like like a heavy drug user using a Panadol. (laughs) It doesn't do anything for them. They don't get a buzz from from having a single sip of beer. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely. They're all inwardly focused and they're all about the... Excess, excess. Shouldn't say panel mate's a brand name for Australia. You should use something like aspirin. Okay, aspirin. Knows. There you go. <laughs> uh, all right. So remember to always be seeking the next cacophony. You know, like go for the dinner battle. If something looks like it's going to be like, you know, if you're going through a hive and you enter like a massive, in, you know, in, um, engineering as such where there's machines and cogs going, like your character should revel in that experience as such. Just that the sound and the din of those things should really be oh, yeah, yeah. big for your character. And, and also, I think for noise marines, don't be afraid to put yourself in harm's way for new experiences because they don't seek death, but I don't think they really fear it either. Yeah. Uh, because you know they, they they need to they need to find the next the next peak the next unusual thing they've never experienced before, and so I think the promise of a you know some new experience will probably be more interesting to them than they'll be put off by the risk of putting themselves you oh, know, yeah. in jeopardy as such. Any new sensation is worth any risk. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Especially killing your friends. I mean, no, don't don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I did notice a lot of their abilities. You know, it does, it's, doesn't matter. It's, it's it's indiscriminate friend or foe. You know, yep. sound just you know. Yeah, definitely affects everything. So, so that's the noise room. Anything else you want to say on noise rooms, Mike? Uh, 
not really. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I suppose the only thing is just remember that they don't have to be emperor's children. Yes. A large amount are, but not all of them. Yeah. I mean, any. But they are. They all are worshippers of Slanesh. They all start yes. aligned to Slanesh. They all start aligned to Slanesh. They have all some sort of marine who has decided to devote himself completely and utterly to Slanesh yeah. and the din of battle. There we That's go. it. All right, let's move on to our plot hook then. Yes. Attention, loyal servants of the Imperium. Stand by to receive orders. So I've tried to work a bit of the noise marine into my plot hook for today. Yep. So here's what I've got. I've said, The heretics have discovered an ancient copy of the Symphony Maraviglia, hidden away since before the Horus Heresy. Coming to understand the importance of this piece to the worship of Slanesh, the group sets out to collect the necessary equipment and people for a repeat performance. So if you're not familiar, um, the Maraviglia was a symphony created by Remembrancer just before the Horus Heresy to commemorate a victory by the Empress' children. And it she was, was already corrupted. She by was Sinesh. already corrupted by Slanesh. Um, the symphony itself had the benefit of effectively possessing most of the orchestra with demons and you know exposing the Empress' children to Slanesh by you know for the most part as well. And what's more, the various um, instruments that were used during the symphony were discovered to have an unusual effect on people, various sort of unusual that, sonic effects. And they that were was, the first... They were the first noise marines. Literally, that, that, it, it is fun, you know, that they carried those same instruments into battle and they were the first noise marines as well. So yep. um, if you wanted to you know, get a bit of Slanesh and noise marine into your campaign, whether you had them in your game or not, you know, something like the, the actual composition of the Maraviglia would be something of... Great interest for any worse of Slanesh that wanted to honour their, uh, their, their the ruinous power as such. Yes, most definitely. Yeah, and it gives that sort of sense of history from the 40K universe as well. Yep. Um, you know, and then you've got to try and a whole bunch of sonic weapons that are still in the you know, some form of instrument form. Because I, yep. I, I do miss the days where the sonic weapons had a more instrument look to them. You know, the old days of... The guitars? Yeah, the <laughs> electric guitars as weapons and such. That, you know, yeah. now, now they do it more like cannons or pistols and such, just with... Yeah. Yeah. It's not as good as the old electric guitars. Yeah, that's right, yeah. It's, 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 you know, noise Marines are all about sex, drugs and rock and roll, aren't they? You know? oh, the, the original Noise Marine models were awesome with the guitars... And they had the huge hair things. Yes, that's right. It was almost like a Kiss Revival thing. Yeah, yeah most of them were painted up like, like you know, bloody... Oh, like the big hair bands of the 80s. Yeah, that's it. Just excellent stuff. Yeah. So, you know, if you wanted to bring your noise marine some interesting stuff to do or just see your Snatch worshippers, that might be something you could do with it. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's move on. Revere the Omnisia, for it is the source of all power. So, we can't talk about Noise Marines and Slanesh without talking about Sonic Weapons. Yes. So, for our War Gear section. Uh, so, as we already mentioned, Sonic Weapons count as as exotic. Um, whether they are uniquely exotic or grouply exotic, you know, it's up to the GM as such. But what they all share in common is the overcharge trait. And that really seems to be what, what, what defines a Sonic Weapon away from the rest. So, when you use overcharge, you spend three times the ammo on your shot... And the weapon then gains Concussive 2, Devastating 2, Overheats, and Recharge. And what's more, I think it overheats on an 86 rather than a 91, so it's got a higher chance yeah. of overheating. Um, I mean, it's not really overheating, that's just the rule name for it. It's more yeah. feedback from the weapon. That's right, yeah. Uh, and if the weapon already had Concussive or Devastating, you actually add the numbers together. So, yes. so rather than the normal rule where you might say, you know, two, a 2 and a 2 is a 3... In this case, it would be a four as well. So it's important to note these are the sonic weapons in Tome of Excess, not yeah. the sonic weapons in Black Crusade. But yes. I would say 
the ones listed in Black Crusade, you should really add, pick up the overcharged trait. You should trait add this trait to yeah, them. Yeah. Most I, certainly, that should be a house rule. I, I think it right captures the, the captures the essence of the sonic weapon as such. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. The only problem is the ones in the original Black Crusade book don't have an ammunition trait. Yeah. Okay. So it doesn't matter if you've got so you've three, got three got times a, ammunition. Yeah, yeah. You've got to you've got to come up with a why. Well, obviously, the downside is the overheating thing. Yeah. Even without the ammunition problems, you've got to decide, well, is it really worth it? Yeah, everything at 86 or above. Yeah. (laughs) Which could be quite harmful, especially with some of these, the power of some of these weapons. Yes, definitely. But yeah, I mean, even for a non-noise marine, sonic weapons are quite powerful. They just got the sonic weapon requirement as such. All right, then let's let's leave the noise marine behind now. We've covered a lot of it and move on to our next section. Yes. My lord, the information you requested is now available for your review. All right, so for our review, uh, you might recall a few episodes ago in our last Only War episode, we talked about Salvaging Solace, which was a downloadable adventure for Only War. Yep. Uh, and it's actually part of a series of four adventures. Today, we're covering Binding Contracts, which is the equivalent adventure for uh, Black Crusade. So it ties in with Salvaging Solace, also ties in with Falling Star and Shedding Light. Basically, these are, these are games for Road Trader, Death Watch, Black Crusade, and Only War that happen for the most part concurrently. Yep. So you wouldn't play them all with the same characters, you would play them with different characters and experience the same story from different points of view. I would say that in some ways, uh, whereas Salvaging Solace sort of ended the story, um, this one sort of starts the story from a point of view, at least from what's happening on Solace. Yeah. Uh, even though I think Shedding Light has some more material prior to the actual event as well. But All right, so the storyline of Binding Contract starts off with the heretics aboard the ship of a chaos diviner um, known as the many-eyed and she's sort of described as this figure that wears a cloak that gives away none of her features and her voice and shape constantly shifts as though she's constantly mutating and changing underneath and she basically gives these various divinations and almost like um, missions to various people as such so she doesn't ask for anything in return it's like she is interpreting the will of the immaterium and sending people to see it done as such and the opening scene involves the PCs being told that an imperial world um, known as uh, Solace uh, is about to undergo an incredible disaster. You know, basically she describes it as a comet will fall from the sky, um, wreak havoc, and Xenos will spill forward and begin killing, and you know, millions will die in the first minutes and such. And, you know, you guys need to be there to enact a ritual that will allow all that power to be channeled, channeled towards the ruinous ones basically um, and she is willing to send the group there she's willing to launch them by a drop pod onto the planet's surface and then they're basically supposed to infiltrate the hive and that's their mission as such that the mini eye has set for them uh, so the next thing basically involves being you know, drop, drop pod onto the surface of the planet and then entering the under part of the hive and starting to try and find supports among the chaos mutants that live in the under hive Basically, what you've got here is a situation where you've got three rival groups as such, and the player, it's, I guess, a social encounter where the player characters are working to try and either through force or through through guile bring these groups together into a cohesive group that can then is then ready to basically storm the hive. And, and that you might recall ties back to the start of Salvaging Solace, where you know, mutants spill forth from the from the underhive as such. You know, this has been instigated by the player characters during during binding contracts. Yeah. Uh, because at this point, the comet, which happens to be actually a void ship, uh, crashes down from the atmosphere into the side of the hive. You know, engine's still going. Engine's still going. 
disgorging tyranids into the hive. And so from, from this point onwards, it's pretty much a, a long combat encounter. So, you know, effectively the, the group with their mutant followers has to fight them out through the hive, either past the local levies or against the tyranids which have emerged from the, uh, from the ship. I know which is going to be an easier fight. Yeah, what, what, what do you reckon? The tyranid warriors or the... <laughs> The, I reckon the, the PDF troopers <laughs> probably a touch easier. Yeah, keeping in mind they're not even from this planet. Most of them, I think the storyline from uh, from the other game involves that they're being there was a mistake to bring these units together. Yeah, they're, here, they're, they're training the, the local PDF in how to become PDF. That's pretty much right. Yeah, yeah so, <laughs> so, so they're conscripts. Yeah, uh, and it basically goes through to the point that when they reach the upper hive, they discover that a chaos sorcerer has already arrived and is already enacting a ritual that will channel the power towards him. So, you know, they need to defeat the Chaos Sorcerer, gain control of his ritual, and channel the power towards the ruinous forces, you know, for the benefit of all chaos as such. Or read to themselves. Or read to themselves. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, of course, loot the corpses. Yeah. Um, I think and that, then escape. And then escape. You know, you're now on a... Uh, hopefully the the only war character done their job and prevented the ship from exploding. You know, in which case this group then has to get off this devastated Imperial world with their ill-gotten goods and before, find their way back to the Screaming Vortex. But Before they get implanted by gene stealers. Yeah, exactly right, yes. Uh, but I think that compared to Salvaging Solace, this is a much more survivable uh, mission, basically. Well, to be honest, that isn't particularly hard. Salvaging Solace was virtually unsurvivable. Yeah, that's right. You know, when you got... Only when you got um, Imperial Guards and versus Gene Steelers and and uh, Gaunts, basically, it's a, not a good start as such. You know, here the the Chaos Forces do face Tyranid Warriors, um, but even then, I think they're, they're, they're manageable as such. Yeah, that's more of an even match. Yeah, yeah. I think that the the sample characters in the book it gives you, I think, it gives two chosen, a Forsaken, a Renegade, and a uh, Chaos Psyker. Uh, not not a Sorcerer, but a uh, just a renegade psycho yeah, yeah which basically thing. so yeah. you know, a, a very combat heavy group as such for a very yeah. combat heavy encounter base or combat heavy mission as such um, like with Only War if your character survived to the end there are some pretty impressive awards available um, once again less items than there are player characters in the standard game so you pretty much got um, an axe a pistol and a, I think it's a, like a, a dagger. Uh, but more impressively, I think, is this scroll of unnatural names. Unutterable. Unutterable, sorry, yes. Uh, which, Try and utter it correctly. Sorry. Uh, a counts as a psi focus, and B, when a heretic psyche uses it uh, to channel a psychic power that causes damage, they get to add their corruption bonus to each damaging hit caused by the psychic power. It grants the... Basically, that was the tainted. tainted trait, basically. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it, was like, it was a weapon. So I think it's quite a nice one as well. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah that's very nice. I, I actually really quite like the um, the dagger. Okay, yeah, yeah the uh, Shard of Twisted Ambition. Yeah, because it's got huge crippling on it. It's crippling six. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't do a lot of damage, but it's got good penetration. Yeah, because you need to, you need to basically get a wound on to actually to, for for, yeah. for crippling to count, don't you? Yeah. yeah. So. It's got tainted. Yep. And it's got good penetration, and it's got crippling six. So. It's good for causing injuries which last a long time and yeah. really hamper the really enemies. Really debilitate the enemy, that's right, yeah. yeah. Perfect for us. Because crippling, crippling, basically, crippling six will mean that if they take at least a wound, they're now kind of crippled. They, if they take a half action, or if they take more than a half action, they will take six damage ignoring armor and toughness. Every turn. 
every single the turn until the end of the encounter or until they're fully healed yeah. back to back to back to full health. So yeah, that, which is going to be pretty tough in the middle of combat. So yeah. really, that's crippling. I always thought crippling was probably a little bit overpowered, um, but it certainly makes sense for Slanesh followers, which is why their demon weapons tend to get it. Yeah. And your uh, your final fight in the game with the uh, the Chaos Sorcerer, I think, is a, is a decent encounter. He basically counts as a um, uh, paragon, sorry, a apostate paragon from the main book as such. So uh, I think that more the Tyranny Warriors will probably give you more trouble. Though you can sort of bulk him out with other forces as well that are supporting him too. So it's more about the control of the ritual, I think, in the final encounter. It's not just a straight stand up fight as such. Yeah, I mean the the apostate paragon isn't exactly great. Yeah. Um, he's- not bad psyker at all, um, but if you've got a, a group which is all chaos marines, you may want to bulk him out into at least being a chaos marine as well. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I think that yeah, it's it's a good tense game, a lot of combat. It's designed for a, uh, a convention. I think it would be a really fun convention game, and uh, yeah, it, it works in well in the scope of connecting together all the various games that make up this this sort of quantilogy of quadrilogy that's a quadrilogy of, uh, of of modules yeah so I think yeah worth checking out I would probably give Binding Contracts a seven and a half oh yeah not, yeah, not yeah, too bad yeah and it could be easy fit into a Black Crusade campaign just you've got to make sure, make sure you've got to wait to get the group off the planet and back to the, the uh, Screaming Vortex afterwards yeah, yeah well, well yeah, actually if it's a power well they could do that themselves they could get betrayed by the person who hired them yeah they um, could be captured and then you can go around broken chains no. Ah. <laughs> okay. Yep. All right. So that's uh, binding contracts. Move. Move on to the next part. Ignorance is a blessing. The data you requested is unavailable. All right. Now is the reason that you all really came here is to hear our take on the nature of Slanesh. I'm yep. sure. Yeah. To see how to pray we can make this and such. I think that of all the chaos gods. If you were bringing a new person into the 40 universe, particularly as a uh, trying to sell the concept of Black Crusade and Worshippers of Chaos, probably Sinesh is one of the easier concepts to really sell. Yeah. If you go back to its core function of excess and, and pleasure and that sort of stuff, it, it really makes it easy to understand why a person would allow themselves to be corrupted by that as such. You know, everybody wants to be rich, be rich experience more pleasure as such or something. I mean... I guess the other one is Zinch, you know, the, the sort of promise of power and knowledge. You and know, Korn as well. I mean, the promise of being the greatest warrior ever. Yeah, that's true. It's really, it's, it's just Nurgle. It's just Nurgle <laughs> that's <laughs> difficult to sell to people. Yeah, I mean, I remember the when they did Warhammer, the Warhammer Age of Reckoning, uh, the online game, which is a Warhammer fantasy game. Yeah. Uh, they made it so that all the all the Chaos followers and that were all worshippers of Zinch. Uh, and there was a lot of speculation as to why they did that. You know, was it because Zinch was easy to understand or because they didn't want to dabble with you know, the, the nastiness of Slanesh or Nurgle or that sort of thing as well. And they did have some Slanesh forces in the game as well. I was quite surprised. I, remember I, saw that. I sort of thought they'd cut it out for the purposes of, you know, ratings, but they did have some pretty dodgy stuff later in the game as well. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think certainly... The ratings ball didn't get that far in the game, obviously. <laughs> that's right, yeah. It's like it's, it's Command and Conquer. Yeah. It, it came out in Australia. It came with like a general, like everybody rating. They didn't realize halfway through the game someone gets his face blown off on screen in full motion video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> oh, that's, uh, yeah. that's, that's it. Uh, the um, so anyway, so coming back to Slanesh, I think yeah, a lot of people are familiar with the more base, you know, sort of concepts of, of what yeah. Slanesh is about. You know, it's, it's, it's an easy sale. 
yeah it, it's all sort of you know it's all sex it's all pleasure it's all you know self gratification but I think there's a lot more to it than that we really sort of want to cover off here as well yeah so I mean let's start off with the Empress children you know I mean they were really the first major group to fall to Sinesh so what was it about Sinesh that actually really that drew them in as such that well, drew in Fulgrim and his followers it wasn't actually the sex and the drugs and the, and all the pleasure it was because yeah, Marines don't normally they don't really covet those sort of things so. no it, it was perfection yeah. Perfection in all things, not just martial perfection. Because you see, you got to remember, they were, they, they were artists. Yeah, yeah, they were artists, and yeah. they were particularly good with technology. Yes, you know, one of the better ones, yeah. just like all the other chapters. Um, yeah, I mean, they they seek to perfect perfection in all things, mostly through sword play or perfection in combat, even personal ranged, whatever it was. Um, they. Looked to try and be the best fighting force. Mm. They wanted to win the most battles, have the least casualties, take the most victories, look the best while they were doing it. And perfection is one of the things Slanesh drives. You know that that attempt to attain the unobtainable. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, I think the other thing that that fits in well with Snesh is the concept of power through followers. Yeah. You know, the, the whole concept that, you know, you make yourself somebody that other people want to get behind and that your power base comes from all those people who are willing to sacrifice everything they have just to please you. Yes. You know, it, it's, not, it's not about pleasure or it's not about, about ex- sensation or experience. It's simply about worship, you know, that, that, that you get to elevate yourself to such a position that... Um, the others others will, will naturally be inclined to, to get behind whatever it is your cause is. Yeah. So, Sinesh, as we know, is the most recent of the Chaos Gods. You know, it, it formed through the warp when the Eldar... Fell. Fell, basically. Yeah, um, the Eldar became particularly dodgy. They, they, they started... He, they became hedonistic and... Yeah, they yeah. started partaking in more and more, you know, violent and sadistic tendencies. Yeah, base needs. Yeah. Base needs. Essentially, they became the Dark Elder. Yeah. When there was just Elder, yep. <laughs> they were all Dark Elder. Um, a couple of prissy ones which thought, "Oh, this doesn't look good," decided to bugger off and become Craft World Elder. And some throwbacks decided to go and live like survivalists on other worlds as Exodites, you know. Um, but the rest of them continued their hedonistic ways, you know, billions of them, and it created a stir in the Imperium. Yeah. Sorry. Imperium. Sorry, Imaterium. Imaterium. <laughs> Lots of other Eams. Uh, and of course, that, that was basically the, the birth cry of Sonesh. And Sonesh does remain very connected to the Eldar. You know, effectively, any, any Eldar that die, their soul is consumed by Sonesh in the warp unless they are able to convey their soul to, yeah. to the warp stones. To and any, any Eldar who isn't dead yeah. is constantly having their soul sucked on by. Slanesh, which is why Eldar have the soul stones. You make it sound so dirty. (laughs) Well, it is. (laughs) Which is why the Dark Eldar have to inflict so much pain and suffering to keep charging their own souls so that they don't get drained into withered husks. Yeah. You know, while they're still alive. Especially because a lot of them being clones have, you know, very weak souls as such. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Okay, so we're playing Black Crusade. You you want to play a, a worshipper of Slanesh. What do you think are the, probably the defining ca- the characteristics that a, a worshipper of Slash should really aspire towards? Vanity. Yep. Uh, selfishness. 
Um, perfection. They, they should try... Whatever they decide to be good at, they should try to be the best at. Mm. Um, they're not really the sort of people who are jack-of-all-trades. They want to be the best at something. Whether it's the best warrior, in which case they might be you know, good at shooting and close combat, that's fine. But they're not going to be particularly good at painting yeah. as well. You know, um, but there could be some, a character who is particularly good at painting or particularly good at researching things and, and finding out information. Not just like Zinch for the sheer sake of finding it. They always try to have a use for something. Yeah. And that's the main difference between Zinch and Slanesh. Zinch is very much... Knowledge for knowledge's sake. Knowledge for knowledge's sake and plans for plans sake. You know, they're convoluted plans. Slanesh is more about immediate gratification. They will do a long and convoluted plan if they have to, if it gets them something they want. But they won't do that plan just for the sake of doing the plan. The plan isn't the, isn't the end goal. Something else is. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at where Sinesh fits with the other Chaos Gods, I think you can sort of say this is why Sinesh works well with this, or why followers work well with this group, and why they work poorly. For example, Sinesh followers work well with Cornet followers because Cornet followers often are given over to the sensation of combat as such. You know, yeah, the, 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 the bloodlust. That's it, yeah. Which, yeah. which is, fits in with the sort of excess of Sinesh, you know. But likewise, there is no there's no benefit from that they don't, once they've experienced a bloodlust they, you know, they they don't feel pleasure they don't feel yeah. excited it's just a, it's, a, it's a primal need yeah and yeah. Slanesh and Korn are enemies yeah. they're the direct opposite enemies um, and it comes down to the fact that Korn see Slanesh as upstart youngsters foppish no honour no no real ability yeah and Korn and Slanesh see Korn followers as boorish brutes obsessed with just one thing, and they don't revel, you know, they don't revel in what they're doing. They just do it. Yeah. They don't take satisfaction from hacking people apart. They just hack people apart. You know, where's the fun in that? Yeah. It would essentially be the catch cry when they're talking to a Cornate follower. Where's the fun in that? That's it. I think that from you look at Slanesh versus Nurgle. I mean, Nurgle is really the, the antithesis of vanity. You know, the, 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 out, the outer flesh is merely a vessel that is a, a body for the inner the inner hope and despair as such, and which doesn't really work very well with the Sinesh need for, for exterior, perfect, external perfection. Well, you've you got some characters in Sinesh who, you know, literally scar themselves every time they fail to meet their own expectations of yeah, perfection. So. And you've got to remember, there is there can be a perfection in ugliness, there can be a perfection in disease and death and decay. Yeah. Um, so they do work well sometimes, but it has to be a very particular mindset. But again, it comes down more to the reason why they do it. Nurgle do it to show that there's a futility, that there's no reason to resist because you can't resist. Everything ends. Everyone dies. That's the Nurgle way. Whereas Slanesh see, well, yeah, everyone, everything ends, everyone dies, but it doesn't mean you can't have fun while it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> With your, with, your, with, your, with your musical guns and everything as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it comes down to the reason why they do it. And this whole hopelessness versus the desire and the hope, and that's how you get people in, is, is through seduction and the promise of something more and something better, whereas Nurgle is more the promise that it's all going to end anyway. You may as well be an agent of that 
ending rather than something which just gets stepped on along the way. Yeah. Now, the two times that you've played Black Crusade, both times you played a Thousand Sun Sorcerer. Yeah. But you've been conflicted both times about playing a follower of Sinesh instead. Yeah. What is it about Sinesh that draws you towards it? Um, I just think it's more fun. You, you can just... You can just let go. You can just go, oh, well, this is my huge convoluted plan. Oh, fuck it. I'll just do this. <laughs> do whatever you want. You know, you, it's the whole Leroy Jenkins thing. You can just do that as... You can do that as a follower of Corn as well, but it's more because they just get frustrated and, and rush in just to taste blood. Whereas the Slanesh follower goes, this will be more fun. It can be a bit disruptive to gameplay, but if you do it well, I think it would work quite nicely. I reckon you have some good fun with it. Yeah, okay. Uh, Alright, what about the, the demons of Slanesh? So let's start with the very top end. You've got the Keeper of Secrets. Yeah. So tell us, what, what, is, what is the role of the Keeper of Secrets? We mentioned this at a previous game as well. But they, it they... is the blunt instrument of Slanesh. Yeah. Whereas most of the other gods, their, their, their greater demon is their Is the architect. Epi- epi- epitome of, of what they're about as such, yeah. For Slanesh it isn't. They, they are a blunt instrument for killing lots of people very quickly. Yeah, they, they really, I guess, epitomise the... The 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 killing end of Slanesh, like the the agility, the 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 the, the combat dervish as such, you know. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're all, all blades and um... horns and claws and yeah. tentacles and whips. Yeah. What about demonettes? Demonettes, well, they're ranked into two types. You've got your heralds, yeah. which are sort of the chosen demonettes of corn. Uh, sorry, of Slanesh, yeah. who are able to get close to Slanesh and Slanesh heaps favour upon them for, for doing things they're given they're more of the, the seducers they're the ones which actually enact his plans in the real world not that his plans are particularly much more than enjoy yourselves yeah. um, and normal demonettes are the foot soldiers but again they have some intelligence behind them they're more seductive they're more trying to get mortals to fall over towards their side Yeah. so as an opposite to all the other gods, their general foot soldier is actually their main recruiting tool. Yeah. What are their steeds again? The um... the seekers. Seekers. That's yeah. Right. So they're a weird lizard thing with two legs, no arms, and a long tentacle tail. Yeah. Sort of part part horse, part velociraptor, part yeah. Yeah, part seahorse. Yeah. <laughs> They, they look like a cross between a choco bird and a seahorse. <laughs> and I mean, like most of the sort of steed-based ones, they don't really have an agenda as such. They no, I don't really have to... any intent. And then there are fiends of Slanesh, which are their bestial things, which again, barely intelligent, weird crosses between lizards, reptiles, and cats. Mm. I mean, again, Slanesh's stuff's all pretty freaky to look at. Okay. So, I'm a GM... And I'm choosing to uh, write a game that focuses on the elements of Sinesh. Maybe, maybe we have an idea about doing the uh, Maraviglia before as such. What do you think are the elements I need to include in my game to really capture Sinesh? Okay. The obvious things are sex, drugs, rock and roll. Yeah. It's not all about that. You've got to remember that these are people who have experienced that and gone, well, this is boring. I need something new. Yeah. You know, and then they've experienced that and gone, well, this is boring. I need something new again. And they just keep going and going and going and it, and it goes up. So it could be someone who goes, oh, I like to eat. So I'll eat all the different types of cake. 
Oh, I've eaten all the different types of cake. Now I'm going to make all the different types of cake out of new ingredients. I'm going to make new types of cake. Now I'm going to make new types of cake from people. Now I'm going to make new types of cake from people cooked by their own loved ones. Because their sorrow and anguish as I eat their loved ones in front of them adds a new element to it. And then it just carries on going from there. You know, it's not just sex and drugs. It's that multiplied out. Yeah. Um, but always remember to keep in mind your players' sensibilities. You don't want to be doing rape and debauchery in front of players and cat players who personally have issues against that. So nowhere to draw the line. Yeah. Really, it. really, really. Um, and nowhere and no, and no to, to bring the curtain down as well. Sometimes yeah. you can imply that something's happening, but you don't need to describe it in... In graphic detail. Yeah, yeah. No, you don't. It can happen off camera. Um, and remember that what we consider attractive... A fall of Slanesh may not. They may go, well, when I was a mortal, I would have found that attractive. But now, uh, unless it's got 50 different vaginas that I can use all at the same time, I'm just not interested. <laughs> um, things look weird. They're into weird, weird things. Yeah. I, I look at it sometimes, saying, I, I can't remember, I read this years ago, and it talked about the uh, psychology or psychosis behind serial killer um, how how they how their sort of patterns develop as such because often and I'm probably speaking out of school here but this is just research I read many years ago um, often you'll see that serial killers start with a very particular target based upon yeah. where they've got like some some rage point you know so it might be you know someone we, who looks like their ex wife yes right exactly right you know and so they'll be looking for like blonde Caucasian women of a certain age group as such you know and as once they've once they've killed one or two. They need to keep experiencing that visceral sensation, but they now okay. I'll drop the I'll drop the age category. I'm looking for blonde women now. I'm just looking for women, you know. Now uh, I'm just looking for blonde. Now I'm just looking for people. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, and, and it develops to the point that they, yeah. in order to keep experiencing that 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 sensation, they've got to keep just expanding their horizons to, and they lose sight of what what it, what it originally drove them. Now it's just all about the. The, the kill. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And, and you can take that, you don't need to be murder, it could be, you know, just as equal. The, Nymphomaniac. You know, yeah. Yes. Exactly the same thing. I mean, at some stage, they just start going, well, I just need to do it. Whatever it is drugs, sex, violence, I just need to do it. The, the, the requirement of whatever that focus is is more important than what they're doing it to, what they're doing it with, who they're inflicting it upon whether that person enjoys it, wants to be involved in it, or anything else. Yeah. And everything's a sensation to them. Everything's about sensation. Um, even getting hacked up in combat, lose, getting your arm chopped off, isn't a bad thing to a follower of Slanesh. It's a new sensation. They're only ever going to experience getting their arm cut off twice, maybe more <laughs> if they mutate some extra arms. So <laughs> it's you, something to be But enjoyed. you only get the first time your arm's been cut off once. Yeah. Exactly. The first time you get a limb the sec- cut The second off, time powers in comparison, really. It does. Yeah, it is never the same as the first time. It's like when people talk about when they were kids and they first fell in love. The first love is always the most powerful. It's the same thing for a follower slash. They're always after that first. When it's no longer the first, it's not as good. So they have to do it more. And they have to make it a first in a new way. Yeah. So, you know, it gets messed up. And it's going to get messed up. That's it. I think we probably dug as deep into this hole of debauchery as we want to at the moment. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, let's move on to close out the show, shall we? Yep. All astropaths in the choir chamber. Message incoming. 
So before we finish up, we normally go through some feedback we receive, you know, if, if we yeah. get any reviews on iTunes or we get any uh, sort of comments. And we've had a couple this week. Uh, so the first one was an email we got from Smee, uh, who's emailed us once before on the show as well, uh, about memorable villains. Now, we did talk about memorable villains all the way back in episode 27, uh, but the point that he was getting at was that Think about all the classic literary villains, you know, so Moriarty to Holmes, you know, Voldemort to Harry Potter, etc. You know, these are... You're calling uh, Harry Potter classic literature. A lot of, a lot of people would agree. <laughs> okay, okay. We, we won't piss these people yes, off. Yes, yes. Uh, but anyway, the point is that in a lot of these stories, there's actually very minimal interaction between the hero and the villain for the majority of the storyline. Most of what it is, is the the reader or the viewer gets to perceive what the villain is doing. Yeah. But the characters have very... I mean, they'll have lots of interactions with their henchmen or their followers or their various schemes and plots, but the villain is always sort of one step ahead as such. And at the end of the day, this is quite a deadly system. You know, characters can go from being completely alive and unhurt to being very dead very quickly. Yeah. And whenever Same you, true for NPCs. Yeah, whenever you bring, you know, the player carries into contact with their enemies, you always run the risk of, okay, I whip out my bolt gun and go for auto. And is that going to just mean that your carefully built, heavily thought out villain gets pasted because he chose to be in the room to monologue for a short while before attempting to leave? So how do you create a memorable villain um, that also, you know, that, that, that draws the players in without necessarily having to expose them to the player characters all the time and creating either a, not oh, this guy again mentality or the risk that guy just gets gunned down at first sight. Okay, there's a couple of ways of doing it. Yeah. Do you want to do yeah, your... Yeah, you, you go first, that's oh, fine. Okay. Yeah. Um, the two easy ways I see of doing it are through cutscenes. Yep. Where the players get to see something happening that their players don't necessarily know about. Sorry, the characters don't necessarily know about, but may have read documents about it or may have seen, you know, the evidence of what had happened after the fact. So you can do a cutscene, flashback of what had actually happened there. The other way is to have someone who the players think was a friend. So they deal with this person on a regular basis. They build up a rapport with them. They may not particularly like them, but they deal with them a lot. And then the reveal comes out that they're actually the bad guy. And that creates a stronger feel because they have interacted with that person without it resulting to violence because they had no idea at the time that violence was called for. Those are my two easy solutions for this. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly, the first one I've used a lot, which is the, you know, the ability to basically frame sequences or scenes that don't involve the PCs. Yeah. But, you know, uh, tell some of the bad guy's story. I've even done things in games where. I've gone and decided to hand out a bunch of characters and said, okay, we're going to play through as yep. members of the bad guy's troop, seeing, you know, play, we're going to play out this scene and, you know, you as a player character, you as a players will know what's going on, but the player characters may find something about this later on or, the, you know, evidence is dropped as such. But, you know, here as a viewer or the reader, we get to actually perceive more about what this, this character is about. Um, yeah, you, you've got to create... Mystique is a big part of the, you know, success of these characters. You look at, once again, you know, those same characters mentioned before... There are a lot of there are more unknowns about the character in the early days than there are unknowns as such, and so the reader is drawn in by the you know who really is this person, what are they doing, what's their agenda, you know, and you've got to have that same level of mystique with your player characters as well. It can't just be, you know, in the first session that guy to them says, I, "My plan is to destroy this world," 
Yeah. And now the rest of the game, the rest of the, the uh, campaign is trying to stop that guy from destroying the world or such, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I look sometimes at, uh, we mentioned before in, on the show, Blofeld from the Bond series and such. Definitely. You know? I mean, think of all those scenes where they're all sitting around their big long table having a discussion about what's going on. Yeah. How many times did James Bond actually meet Blofeld in the movies? But, it, but even then, what, what, what I was or, getting at was that Blofeld was like almost evil for evil's sake. Yeah. You know, Sp- Spectre, I can't remember what the acronym stood for exactly, but it was like, you know, it was it was pretty much just like, we are bad guys, you know. So, yeah. I mean, I, 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 someone mentioned the other day on the radio, I can't remember what it was. But As a ridiculously yeah, like, yeah, convoluted name. Yeah, it's it like, a, it refers to like, counter, like to counterintelligence and terrorism and such, that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, so, back of the, uh, do you remember the old cartoon mask back in the, yeah. in the, uh, like the, the bad guys they were called Venom, which stood for the vicious evil network of mayhem. It's like, wow, you really, you don't want to sugarcoat this, do you? These are clearly the bad guys or such. So, you don't want cartoon villains. You know, you, you want someone who, you know, think out their think out their agenda. You know, and we mentioned this back in episode twenty seven is work out why the bad guy is a bad guy. What is their end game? Why do, what are they trying to achieve? You know, yes, with chaos worshippers, you know, if they're your enemy in a in a you know, imperial based game, that's pretty simple. They want whatever chaos wants as such. But yeah, when it's like an imperial force against another inquisitor, for example, then what do they want? What's their agenda and why do they oppose the PCs as such? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that it really that, that framing sequences that don't involve the PC so much is a, is a very good one. Um, yeah, just you want to expose the players to the NP to the to the villain without necessarily exposing the player characters. And yeah, or, and foreshadowing and, and sort of left evidence that sort of stuff is a good way to show what the person has done as such. You know, the, yeah. they, they get to the scene, everyone's been massacred, and one person near death explains this is what this is what happened you know yeah all these video footage yeah that's it yeah <laughs> the classic video footage that being said always being one step behind can get a bit annoying in a game as yeah, well yeah absolutely yeah so you need to have the Carmen San Diego effect of you know another vile henchman you know we, we we're always taking down henchmen we're always like reducing his power base as we pursue him as such you know we, 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 each victory actually is a victory not just a a, a loss in disguise yeah all right, so hopefully that, that helps. Um, Smee also did say that he really likes our episode about horror. He's listened to it multiple times, which I'm pretty sure is episode 11. Yeah. Yeah, because we're both pretty big horror fans. Uh, yeah. And he would like to see us do more general role-playing tips sort of stuff as well. Yeah, definitely. I think as we start to wind down the amount of um, things we can still review, our review section may end up starting to change into a general role-playing section. Could be. I mean, you've got you've got an idea for a, a discussion topic coming up as well to do with what to do when your game gets out of control because you've just got too much gear or too much wealth has flooded into it as such. Yeah, so, yeah. Power level. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty simple. You just... Everyone gets knocked unconscious and wakes up in a prison cell with no with no gear. Or you can do something which doesn't suck. <laughs> we'll talk about that at a later date. Uh, now, the other thing we got was a message from our friend Benj via Google+. Plus. Yep. Um, just talking about... We mentioned before about how you, how you handle when you have multiple NPCs in the scene talking and... And to use Benji's term, you really want to avoid the GM puppet theatre. You know, it's like, you know, you're, you're trying to enact voice roles for two different characters who are talking to each other and the player characters watching. You know, Benji's advice was, just don't. If the player characters aren't part of the conversation, don't play the scene out before them. You know, have one NPC turn up and say, look, I was speaking to such and such before, and he told me this, so I'm now telling you. You know, we didn't have the conversation while you watched. We had that off screen, and now I am, as, as a single individual conveying that message to the group basically yeah so a good bit of advice in there as well the other way is hats 
<laughs> really? Hats? Yeah. <laughs> or accents? Um, I remember when we did fake um, moustache. I remember when we, when we did uh, the um, Beyond the Mountains of Madness Call of Cthulhu module that um, uh, Jim then and Paul uh, he for the two major sort of academic NPCs either his glasses were like high on his nose or they were down on the on the bridge of his nose as such you know to indicate which one he was playing out. Yeah. Also, one had an American accent, one had a British accent, but you know it was oh, God. I can't imagine how bad the British accent was. <laughs> it was good enough, you know. <laughs> good enough. <laughs> Alright, so, if you do want to contact us, there's many ways to do so. Our website is www.grimdartpodcast.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast. Our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash plus sign grimdartpodcast. We tweet randomly through at grimdartpodcast. Our email is show at grimdartpodcast.com. And don't forget that we've got the voicemail link on the right-hand side of the website and also the affiliate link to Drive Through Our Bridge on the left-hand side. All right, so next episode will be episode 55. We're talking about only war. I have yet to pick a system discussion or a review. I'm thinking about reviewing the Astra Militarum book for 40K, the, the tabletop games, talking about oh, the yeah. stuff that's in that to do with the Imperial Guard as well. But what we are talking about definitely is we're talking about the Stormtrooper. And we're also going to be doing a topic on, on how to control the pacing of your game. So how to get good pacing anyway. Okay. So, thanks for joining along again tonight. Thank you for listening to us. Um, we didn't really get that far. I, I think there's only one time you swore, and it was really, really fast. So I don't even know I need to put the explicit tag on iTunes. I feel. Ah, don't bother. I feel we haven't done Sinesh due justice. Oh, you don't have to sl- sl- swear for the sake of swearing. That's no, true. <laughs> okay. We can just say the show was perfect. Yes. <laughs> or maybe not. But it was good enough for us. Good enough for us. That's it. So we look forward to catching you next time and enjoy. This podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Games Workshop or Fantasy Flight Games. Warhammer 40,000, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, Death Watch, Black Crusade, Only War, Eternal Crusade, and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited. Fantasy Flight Games is a trademark of Fantasy Flight Publishing Inc. All other materials are trademark and or copyright of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grimdark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music comes from Bibio's Music Alley, music.bibio.com.